Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Joel from The Passing Shot. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in The Passing Shot community. And if you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Novak Djokovic returning to form. Burton springing a surprise. It can only mean one thing. It's the Madrid Open catch-up. Let's go! Hello everyone and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week on The Passing Shot. In Results Roundup, we reflect on Kiki Burton's making history for Dutch tennis and why Djokovic is back doing what he does best, winning. Putting everyone else on notice and he is ready for Roland Garros, ready to claim another French Open title. In Brits on Tour, we look at why Heather Watson is this week's best performing Brit. It's trophies, it's match wins, it's a step in the right direction. In Scoreboard Stories, we have a look at who was on the receiving end of a double bagel in Madrid. The bakery was open all hours of the day, was serving lots of breadsticks and bagels. And in the wildcard, we assessed the Rome draw on the men and women's sides. Do you know how long it was since the last time they played on a clay court in Rome, Kim? 10 years? 20 years. Oh, wow! And as always, you're joined by myself, Joel, a.k.a. The Wandering Wildcard, and my co-host, the self-confessed queen of clay, Kim. Kim, how are you doing this evening? Hi. Yep. Good. Thank you. I hope you're all good. Hi to all everyone listening. Um, This week, it's the Eurovision Song Contest, which is actually my first love before tennis. So I'm really like on a buzz this week. And also, we got a really lovely review a couple of days ago from Callum. So a big thank you to Callum for for listening and uh yeah thank you for the lovely feedback and uh yeah i think we've got a lot to talk about today madrid done and dusted uh rome's already begun so um it's all happening premier mandatories back-to-back masters events it's all kicking off at the moment yeah we've just had the madrid open lots of talking points on the men and women's sides. I think we're going to start with the women first, aren't we, Kim? And Kiki Burton's. We are indeed. So yeah, Kiki Burton's, I was not predicting her at the start of the tournament 
to win. But she actually came through and won in flying colours because she didn't drop a single set. She is now number four in the world and she beat a hell of a, a list of players to, to to grab the title. So, you know, she defeated Simona Halep in straight sets in the final, 6-4, 6-4. Uh, Stevens in the semi-final, Kvitova in the quarter-final, and then also Sevastova, Ostapenko, and Sinyakova. So she beat four Grand Slam champions to get the biggest title of her career. To not even drop a set, I think, is so impressive. And also, you know, in the final, Halep, who was, you know, coming in on a really good run of form herself, she was going for the number one. You know, if she'd have won that final, she would have taken the number one ranking off Naomi Osaka. So for Kiki Burson to have stopped Hallett and, you know, clinched the victory, I thought was just really, really impressive. And she also avenged um, a loss, well, with quite a few recent losses to Kvitova in the quarterfinals. So, you know, proving that she's learning on kind of recent defeats, overturning them. And I think going into the French, you know, people are now starting to think about Kiki Burton's as, as a contender for the title. Yeah, she uh, she had a fantastic tournament. I think you know she seems to love playing anyone who's in the the top ten rankings. It was very unexpected her to yeah win all of her matches in straight sets as well, considering the the caliber of players that she was facing. And and to be honest, even in the final when she came up against Halep, I thought you know Halep was going to be motivated by you know being able to grab back the women's number one ranking from Osaka. But um, yeah. Kiki Burton's put put her to the sword and is putting Dutch Dutch tennis on the map. And I don't think a lot of you know no one's going to want to play her come you know Roland Garros. And you know is she a French Open favourite? You know I wouldn't put her in that that top category, but she's certainly for me a, a dark horse. And you know if she is there fighting in that second week, you know she's going to be a very dangerous opponent for for whoever she faces. Yeah, she's kind of untested in the slams in the sense of that she hasn't reached the latter stages. So it would be like completely new territory um, for her. But, you know, Roland Garros often is a lot of people's maiden slam victory. So if you're going to win at one, why not make it Roland Garros? And she seems to be like comfortable on the clay. She's also uh, only the second champion, uh, the second female player of the year after Kvitova to have actually won multiple titles. Um, she clinched St. Petersburg earlier on in the season. So, um, yeah, we now have two multi-champions of 2019. Um, interestingly, mentioning Osaka, she actually lost in the quarterfinals to Belinda Bencic. And Bencic had actually defeated Osaka at the, uh, yeah, in the Indian Wells uh, a couple of months ago. So Bencic, you know, carries on that kind of really impressive run of form against top five players. In fact, you know, she ended up losing to Halep in the semi-finals. But before she lost to Halep, you know, Bencic was actually five, uh, five victories against top five players um, that she's had this this year. And she hadn't lost a single uh, match to a top five player, which was actually uh, only the second highest rating for uh, win percentages against top five opponents out of all active players after, you know, guess who, Serena Williams. So I thought that was a really impressive statistic that I know a lot of people were kind of talking about converting when, you know, against the, the big, the big names. Yeah. And just a, just a word actually on, on her opponent, Osaka, I thought it was interesting in the post-match interview she said that during that match she was thinking about the the number one ranking and the fact that I think she was going in defending lots of points and you know she felt that pressure 
that you know she needed to you know get to the final because otherwise she was going to leave the door open for someone else to kind of claim that spot so it's kind of clear that she's taking time to adapt to that you know that world number one ranking and with it it's it's come with an expectation that I don't think Osaka's kind of living up to you know at the moment I think we've seen better performances from her you know when she's not been world number one yeah, I guess that's quite a natural thing, though, isn't it? Once you do reach the sort of pinnacle, you think, well, now I've got to stay stay up at the top. And I guess that, that extra pressure is quite difficult. But Halep is only, you know, really a handful of points behind Osaka in the rankings. It feels quite a, an inevitability that... Yeah, although Halep is defending uh, lots of points at the French, so... You know, will she defend her title? And also, I mean, Kerber and Burton's and Kvitova are like a thousand points behind. So, I mean, it's not in, improbable um, that Kiki Burton's could potentially be world number one in the not too distant future. And I don't think any of us would have seen that, you know, at the start of the year. But I mean, it's not a mathematical impossibility. So we will see. <laughs> um, just a note on the doubles champions in Madrid. We had Sue Wei Shui and Barbora Strichkova winning their second title of the season um, over Debrowski and Zhu Yifan. So um, solid victory for for them. I think it's time to chat men's tennis now, Joel. What do we have? Well, uh, Madrid Open had a lot of fantastic matches in the men's draw. Lots of lots of newsworthy stories. I think going into it, we obviously had you know it was Federer's first tournament on clay in uh, I think it was like three years. You know Zverev still trying to find some form, coming in as defending champion. You know Nadal titleless is still in the clay season. Lots of questions on him and whether he could you know rediscover that top form and. Novak Djokovic came in and, you know, almost kind of, I think, somewhat under the radar, actually, just kind of went about his business, you know, took out Dominic team in a really high quality um, semi-final and set up a final against the Greek Stephanos Sissipas. Uh, and he won 6-3, 6-4, reminding everyone, almost putting everyone else on notice that he is back to his best and he is ready for Roland Garros, ready to claim a, another French Open title. Yeah, I kind of feel like Djokovic doesn't need to prove anything <laughs> anymore to us. Um, although since winning the Australian Open, he had actually only made one quarterfinal. Not that I think, you know, people are getting worried. But yeah, winning Madrid, he's uh, certainly, yeah, just reminded us that, oh, actually, you know, who's the world number one? Who's won the last three slams? Who's probably the favourite of the French next month, you know? And actually, that was his 33rd Masters title, which now ties him with Rafa uh, for the most one of all time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty comfortable for Novak kind of pretty much uh, all week. I, I especially liked actually in the in the trophy ceremony, his um, his kind words for Feliciano Lopez. I don't know if you saw, but he um, was complimenting Feliciano Lopez, who's the new tournament director um, for how amazing he's been looking this week. He said, I don't know who your stylist is, but your suits, everything you were wearing these past 10 days was unbelievable. Well done. So I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> um, he always knows how to make a good speech, Novak. Um, I'll give him his due. So, um, but yeah, I'm a bit unhappy, I guess, as a Rafa fan that, you know, Rafa actually hasn't even made a final this year on clay, which is 
his worst clay court season since basically his career began. So that doesn't bode well for the French. There were literally people crying in the crowd when he lost his, his semi-final. Uh, and that was, uh, for me, I watched, I was watching that final on TV and the quality of tennis was unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't like Nadal was playing badly. It was just kind of, yeah, Sissipas was just, he just found this new level of tennis that, you know, I don't think I hadn't seen. I don't think many, many people had seen um, him play on a clay court and, it was just his, you know, his clay, his his court coverage, his his speed around the court for a guy who's kind of six foot four. Um, it was just exceptional, and in in the end, Nadal wasn't wasn't able to come up with a three set victory, which was I think quite surprising because Nadal took that second set, and you think, oh, here we go, the momentum's you know swung back in in Nadal's favour, but um, no, Sissipas showed great temperament in you know in staying with. Nadal and yeah taking his chances so that was kind of yeah for me one of the the standout matches and again kind of Sissipas will has put himself into that kind of category of French Open I'd say French Open contender I'd still put mm. Djokovic and I'd probably put team and Nadal on the top tier but it's certainly in that kind of chasing pack well I think a team a team Sissipas uh, match would be quite tasty because I feel like those two are the the two young guns most likely to challenge at the French just based on recent performances. I mean, it's crazy. Tsitsipas was, he, he had to go through the qualifying of Rome this time last year. Um, so I just think it's, it's, he's come a long way in the last year. And, and actually like just the note on Rafa, you know, he, he as always was very sort of gracious and humble in defeat. And, um, you know, he said, what happened tonight is what happens in real life. What happened in the last 14 years on clay is not the normality. And that is so true. I mean, what he's done has been, you know, amazing in his career in terms of his record on clay. But, you know, we've come to expect that just to keep on carrying on. And at, at some point it has to end. So, you know, I think we should, um, well, certainly Rafa fans, instead of crying in the stands, let's have a bit of kind of, perspective but yeah I think Roland Garros is is looking pretty uh tasty <laughs> let's just say that much and and uh and just kind of in in terms of some other matches that kind of sprung to mind from the Madrid Open because there were so many really high quality ones another one involving Sissipas was against um Alex Verev and you know these two up-and-comers it was almost like they were battling for the the affections of the crowd in terms of you know who is that top who is that top dog coming up from the from the next gen and I feel like with the the victory for for Sissipas it's almost like he is now cemented himself as the top dog uh, like I don't care what the rankings say. I think, you know, at the moment, in terms of who's got the better momentum, I've, I'd have to go with Sissipas on a clay court. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think Sissipas will surpass Zverev in the rankings soon. I mean, especially if Zverev's kind of run of form doesn't <laughs> doesn't improve. I mean, I know he's kind of being, he got a bit, I don't know, annoyed in a press conference. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of banging on about, where are the results? You know, he sort of hasn't really had a very good year and uh, we just expect so much more of him. Um, so, yeah, for sure, I think Sitsipas is kind of is the one uh, in ascendance at the moment. Um, and also, you mentioned good matches. Um, the Federer team match 
was another mm. sort of standout um, for me. And obviously Federer on clay, wasn't really sure how that was going to go, seeing as he hasn't played in, in three years. Um, and he's actually just announced he's going to be playing Rome as well. So obviously Madrid wasn't enough for him going into the French. Yeah, that Federer team match was really high quality game. I think Federer will be slightly annoyed. He had uh, match point match points uh, and then ended up defeated. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was a great match. He also had a great match against Monfils uh, in the earlier rounds. So he was kind of putting on some really entertaining performances. And yeah, I think he just kind of wants to keep keep that going you know yeah as you said he's he's now entered he's now in the field for Rome so uh, we'll see if he can um, go a bit further than than he did in in Madrid yeah and also another player to lose after having a match point was uh, Del Potro who it was you know nice to have him back on <laughs> back on a court um, but he lost to Laszlo Jair after having a match point so um, yeah quite a few close matches um, also David Ferrer he um well, has finally retired now. <laughs> I mean, he seems to have been like having farewells at every tournament, which is, is totally I, Kim, deserved. I, I swear each each podcast, each <laughs> catch up we do, we always talk about the Ferrer I know. retirement. Ferrer retirement. <laughs> but uh, I think Madrid was the, the nail. I think this was the final nail in the coffin. Um, Alex Verev actually put that nail that final nail in the coffin. Ferrer now can can hang up his uh, his tennis shoes. He can hang up his racket. And yeah, we can kind of now reflect on on his career. And you know, I think a lot of people, kind of reading in the the tennis media, you know, are talking about Ferrer as one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player, to have never won a Grand Slam. Do you? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean. He was a very solid player, wasn't he? He was always up there. And actually, you know, after he kind of yeah, had his final farewell, you know, all the stats were being banded around. And I didn't realise actually quite how consistent he was. Um, so, for example, he had um, seven years where he finished in the top 10. He had 10 straight Grand Slam quarterfinals between 2012 and 2014. And now most, I don't know, regular players would certainly not be able to boast that kind of record. He had 27 titles, 292 straight weeks in the top 10, 734 wins. And he actually qualified for the year-end, you know, ATP finals on seven occasions, six in a row, and won three Davis Cups. So his highest ranking was number three, but, and he got to that, obviously, that that Roland Garros final uh, in 2013, losing to Rafa. But in terms of match wins, he's, he's 12th in the open era. So... He he certainly is, yeah, I think a very good contender for the greatest player ever to have won a slam. I mean, there's not many others that I can think of that could possibly be in that category. Well, I, I did I did learn a stat which I thought was quite interesting that um in the in this debate there are there are a few players that normally come up and, and Ferrer is one of them. David Nalbandian is another, but um the only player to have never won a grand slam but get to world number one for the men is uh, Marcelo Rios. So I think I think you can claim if, if you get to world number one, but not win a Grand Slam, I feel like the, uh, you could be put in that that conversation. Yeah, I think Marcelo Rios or David Ferrer, but David Ferrer must have better stats other than getting to the number one than Marcelo Rios. So I guess it depends on what you prize as kind of the more meaningful statistic. Because I mean, David Ferrer, okay, he got to number three. Look at the players who are number one and two. You know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, um, 
you know, impenetrable at times. So I think he has exceeded what was really his potential um, at the time of his playing career, you know, as opposed to other players. I mean, you could say, you know, a whole host of other names could have been world number one if, you know, the top four hadn't been, you know, <laughs> around. So I guess um, it's just he's been playing in the most kind of, you know, in the in the best period of tennis, of men men's tennis ever. So, <laughs> and the debate will go on and on and on. I think I, think I read a quote somewhere and I thought it was quite a nice way to, to phrase it. And, you know, I think people would, you know, ask him, it's like, you know, are you annoyed you kind of grew up in the era of the big four, you know, because they potentially stopped you from, you know, winning Grand Slam titles. And, you know, his answer, his reply to that was, I'm not, you know, I'm not angry. You know, they made me a better player. And, you know, I think that was kind of a really you know, refreshing and, and positive kind of outlook on, you know, playing in, you know, an era of, you know, the big four of, you know, the Nadals and the Djokovic and, and Federer and, and Andy Murray as well. And, yeah, you know, I sure. think it's almost like he's kind of looking at it, it's like, yeah, yeah, they were in my era, but yeah, they, they took my tennis game to a level that you know without them I don't you know I don't think it would have been able to reach yeah and I think that's why this era is so great because you've got all these champions and they just help each other improve you know because of their existence and their kind of collaboration and you know playing in the same era so I think um that definitely has a lot of of kudos to that um to that argument um one thing as well from Madrid going back to Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas he was playing doubles as well with Wesley Kulhoff. And um, the night before he beat Rafa Nadal in the semis, at 11.22 local time in the evening, he um, he went on to court to play his doubles match, which is not ideal preparation for a Masters semi-final against, you know, the greatest clay court player of all time. So I thought that was interesting that he's still kind of committing to playing doubles in these events. Definitely. And actually, it felt there was quite a lot of single singles competitors in the doubles lineup and and in the final we had uh, a part a partnership that you know again you wouldn't normally expect you had Dominic Team and Diego Schwartzman uh reach the final almost I feel yeah. like that's like a, a scratch pairing but uh yeah they well they've uh, played lost... together a few times actually I think they're, they're quite good mates they've played a few tournaments together but they lost yeah to Roger and Takao in the in the final it feels like yeah this season a lot more singles players are taking an interest in playing doubles and you know it's great to kind of see you know players like Sispas kind of almost kind of putting doubles and, and singles playing on an on an equal playing field because I'm sure he could have just said no I'm not gonna you know take part in that match because you know I need to focus fully on that Nadal, that Nadal match but you know fair, fair play to him. Yeah I have a lot of respect for players who yeah you know properly commit uh, to playing the doubles draw and not just, you know, oh, I've got further than I thought in the singles. I'll just uh, have a, a cheeky <laughs> walkover in the doubles and pull out. <laughs> you know, that's that's not really on. It's like, don't enter the draw if you're not really going to commit to it. But yeah, good good on good on Stefanos um, for that one. So that wraps it up for the results section in Madrid. Um, but from the fan perspective, we also had one of our listeners Will Henderson, he took a trip out to Madrid for the tennis and he was able to give us the fan view on the event. Um, and he very kindly has recorded these as a, a voice note message to us. 
And um, for anyone who's interested in going to the Madrid Open, here are some fan thoughts on the event. Hello, Joel and Kim, and thanks very much for having me on your lovely podcast to share my experience of the Madrid Open that I went to this week. But before I start, I hope you don't mind me saying a little bit of a well done on having such a great pod. You're on 30 plus episodes now, which is fantastic. And please, please keep up the great content. Uh, Really enjoying it. So down to a bit of business about Madrid Open. I went to Madrid this week with my girlfriend for four days, where we spent the Monday itself at the tournament, which meant that we had men's first round and women's second round matches. We went for court one tickets for the day session, which worked out as €29 each, I believe, with all the booking fees and that stuff, which I think is pretty reasonable compared to many many other tournaments that we've been to. Um, be it Queens, we went to Birmingham a couple of years ago, tour finals, etc., which often are the same or more for similar sort of days matches. So all in all, I think pretty good value there. Travel to the venue itself was really, really straightforward. There's a tube from the centre of Madrid where I'm sure most visitors stay when they're when they're in the city itself. It takes about thirty to thirty-five minutes, including the walk to the venue from the station. And it's all for about three euros, which is fantastic, really. When we arrived, we fell foul of the food and drink rules, which sadly I hadn't read before. So we did have to bin at least my pack lunch, they didn't find my girlfriends, and buy food inside. But that said, there was a really nice selection of food within the venue, and it set you back anywhere from around eight euros to 20 euros, depending on how fancy you really wanted to go. I can distill the tennis that we saw down into two good and two bad matches, really. Sloane Stephens and Victoria Azarenka was really impressive. I love Sloane's power and composure on all the big points. I thought she was fantastic. And whilst it was nice to see Vika playing, she just couldn't quite cope with that. But really nice to see her back on tour and playing some, some half-decent tennis. We also took some time to see... Elena Ostapenko and Kiki Burton's match on court two, which I'm so glad that we stepped out of court one to go and see that, because Burton's turned out to be the winner of the tournament, and I can really see why. She was gritty, she was physical, and she just seemed like a true competitor, so it's fantastic to see her take the title, and all, all power to her, I think she could be a big threat at the French Open in a few weeks' time. And on to the bad points, where I've got to start with the showing of Grigor Dimitrov against the still up-and-coming Taylor Fritz. Very evenly matched in ranking, but there was a time when Grigor would have absolutely swatted him aside, but he just didn't look like he had the mental toughness, uh, which is a real shame, and I'm hoping to see Grigor back up the rankings because he's hugely talented. And the second downside of the tournament to me was Riley Apelka versus Pablo Carreño Busta being scheduled on court one. I found myself seeing the lineup and thinking, really? Is that worthy of the top court? And it turned out that that match was really flat, it was stop-start, and just a bit dull. It never got going. It didn't help that it was the first first match on and the crowd was not really there at that point. Now, I get scheduling is a challenge and it's really hard to fit all these matches in a week, but that was a bit of a disappointment to say the least. Let me take a second to just discuss the shadow on the courts. Now this was something that Joel asked me to look out for when I was there and I had seen on TV before 
And it's a bit of a 50-50 between me and my girlfriend. She didn't seem to be bothered by it at all. But I thought, and particularly on court two, where there was a bit of a, you had sky, roof, then a gap for a window. It meant that there were three different sections of light on the court, which as a spectator, I find it hard to track the ball sometimes. And I can only think it must have been hard for the players. So court one, okay. Court two, really difficult. So watch out for that if you are going to see Madrid yourself. Next time, and I suppose this is a reflection on watching all of the other matches on Prime later in the week, like I wish I'd been there on the Thursday, on the Friday, etc. Um, to see some of the, the titans of the sport battle it out in some of those marathon matches. But what we saw, we really loved and really recommend the tournament. I think that brings us now on to our Brits on Tour section, Joel. It hasn't been the greatest of weeks. Um dare I say it. Um, Heather Watson, I think, has actually had the greatest amount of success as a Brit in the last week, wouldn't you say? Won the singles and doubles. Yeah. I mean, it's not Madrid, but it's the ITF 60K Fukuoka uh, tournament. And uh, yeah, she she won the singles and the doubles. And uh, yeah, the final, she beat Zarina Diaz in two tiebreak sets. Uh, but, you know, it's trophies, it's match wins, it's hopefully confidence and it's a step in the right direction. So, um, but as for the rest of our British players, Joe Conta, she uh, lost in the second round of Madrid to Simona Halep in straight sets. So fairly predictable, I suppose. Um, and Rome has just got underway and Conta's actually won her opening match um today um the day that we're recording this and and i think she faces sloane stevens in the next round which will be an interesting matchup because i definitely think that's a that's a that's a tough tie but i definitely think that's a a winnable tie winnable Mm, i would agree let's wait and see on that one unfortunately though for for carl edmund his losing streak continues in madrid he lost to fognini in straight sets Uh, obviously fognini very um, hard opponent you know obviously Monte Carlo champion but then he kind of followed that up again with another loss today against uh, Fernando Vidasco who you know is a very solid opponent but um, yeah Edmund was a set and 4-1 up and I think you know it just kind of shows you that you know he's lost a bit of a bit of confidence to kind of yeah close out those victories that that was happening this time last year you know you would ex- you'd have expected him to go on and win that but um, you know, at the moment it's just not just not quite clicking no absolutely Kyle Edmund is kind of going into the French Open sort of I mean we have no expectations I think really um I think if he could get to say the third round that would be considered amazing considering his awful run of form just a note on Jamie Murray he uh lost in the quarterfinals of Madrid so uh he actually lost out to Tsitsipas uh, in the doubles draw. And then moving on to Rome, uh, Cam Norrie and Dan Evans both qualified for the main draw. So uh, Cam especially had an exciting final qualifying match against Nicholas Jarry, who I know we mentioned on the podcast last last time round for being, I think, one of those uh, lucky losers that managed to get in. I'm not sure. Nicholas Jarry was on our podcast. <laughs> I need to go back and listen. But anyway, Cam saved two match points to qualify for Rome. And uh, Dan Evans also qualified for the main draw, beating Dusan Lajevic, which is a very impressive result because Lajevic was the Monte Carlo finalist this year and, you know, is significantly higher ranked than Dan. 
Dan actually did lose today um, in the first round of the main draw. But, you know, again, that was a that was a close match today that he lost to Kasper Rud. Yeah, Kasper Rud of, of Norway. So, yeah, Dan is, is had, has had some good results on clay by qualifying, getting, you know, that win over lie of it. Yeah, he, he took out Robin Hasser as well, I think, also mm. en route to, to qualifying. So he took out a few, you know, notable names who have decent, prowess on a clay court um but yeah i unfortunately he wasn't able to get past casper rude bit of an odd scoreline though because he took the the second set six love but wasn't able to kind of yeah continue that momentum rude must have found a, a second wind or something because um yeah he was able to come back and, and win that that deciding set but um yeah i think evans i think evans at the moment has probably got you know as much as anyone in terms of the British men, good momentum, mm. certainly playing, certainly playing well and, and, and getting wins. So, um, yeah, let's let's hope he can kind of continue that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just a note also on Katie Balter. She has been ruled out of the French Open due to a back injury that she obtained during the Fed Cup. Um, I think it turned out to be worse than originally thought. So whether she's going to be able to play the grass and Wimbledon remains to be seen. But um, yeah, a bit of a shame that she will be out of the French. Um, also, just a note, uh, talking of the grass, Queen's, uh, Queen's Club announced their entry list. Um, and they have announced that a wild card has been reserved for uh, no other than Andy Murray's. Is that correct, Joel? <laughs> wild card reserved for Andy Murray. I think a lot of the clickbait, tabloidy headlines were saying Andy Murray given wildcard for Queens but I think the reality is more that you know it, they're basically kind of saying hey Andy there's a wildcard here if you want it don't have to take it but it, it's it's kind of there for you completely remains to be seen whether he will accept it um, and I don't think we're going to know that until a lot closer to the time. My inkling is that he won't, but um, I don't think he's going to be ready. That's just my <laughs> my personal gut feeling. Uh, and I, I feel like he wouldn't want to take it if he wasn't actually feeling ready. Fully fit. Um, I don't mm. think he would think that was fair um, on, you know, a, a deserving player who is, is fit enough. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, still in clay mode. Grass is, grass is too far away to think of right now. <laughs> Let's move on to scoreboard stories. Kim. Uh, a few interesting results in Madrid. The I'm bakery. <laughs> the, the bakery. The bakery <laughs> was the bakery was open all hours of the day, was serving lots of breadsticks and bagels, particularly Simona Hallett. Simona Hallett versus Kuzmova. Kuzmova is one of these uh players who 20-year-old Slovakian, again, she's expect thing, big things are expected of her in the future but against Simona Halep in Madrid she won 12 points and got it was, was on the receiving end of a double bagel which <laughs> can't have been can't have been pleasant yeah Halep won 48 of the 60 points and yeah it was the third double bagel of the season um with, I was just about to yeah. say was it a double bagel where the scoreline was actually much closer and it, there was loads of juice points but um no because you just said how like 148 of 60 points which um if my maths is correct is 80% of the score of the points it, it wasn't a good day at the office Kim. it wasn't <laughs> a good day at the office so uh yeah Kuzmova 
got given a double bagel. Although I think I re- I think I saw today she actually handed out a six one six love pasting to um to her opponent. I I forget who it was, but uh, she has come back with a bang. She was not she was not happy with that double bagel serving, so she's gone out and dished dished. Uh, I think she's dished a, ba- a bagel and a breadstick out herself. So um, dished out her own. So, <laughs> what do so, we call so that six two score lines? We've got bagels and we've got breadsticks. What is a six two score line called? Could we maybe have like a pan au chocolat or something a bit more like some sort meaty? of pastry based? Yeah, something like a bit nicer because it's not as bad a score line, I suppose. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, any I've just got cake on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> any listeners, if if you've got if you've got like a name for a six two score line. Send it into the the passing shot. You can you can tweet us um, at passing shot pod on on Twitter. We'd love to know any of your any of your suggestions that can go with bagels and breadsticks. Passing but, uh, shot yeah. vocab. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, speaking of other um, bakery um, based score lines, um, we also had Ash Barty beat Danielle Collins in. I think. I think maybe is one of my favourite looking score lines. It was a <laughs> triple breadstick six one one six six one. Very topsy turvy match uh, with Barty coming out on top. But um, yeah, as, as again another score line that um, it's just a it kind of brings a smile to my face whenever I it's see it's almost that sort of palindromic on the, on that. yeah it, it, it's got a nice symmetry to it um yeah I know what you mean it's it looks visually quite nice on the <laughs> on the ATP WTA live scores app um <laughs> it's quite discreet but then at the same time quite loud I feel because yeah yeah it's yeah. got that kind of Mm. (laughs) but um yeah so so there were a couple of yeah a couple of funny score lines in in madrid and also i spotted and this is particularly which is particularly niche delving into the itf circuit specifically in the itf monzon event olga perez as 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 quitia delivered a golden bagel in the first set which means that the her opponent didn't win a single point in the first set it was a spanish golden bagel which is quite a a rare sighting so i just wanted to alert tennis fans to um to that they're quite a rare baked good in in the tennis world. it's perfection that is a perfectly baked that is a showstopper if we're going down the i don't know <laughs> the bake off vocabulary <laughs> amazing well done olga um did you know if she if she went on to win the match? I, I would assume assume I, she might I'm have done. Assume, <laughs> I, I'm gonna assume she I'm gonna assume she did. If the first set only took sixteen minutes, I yeah. can't imagine she would have been She wasn't even warmed up really. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah, those are those are what I have for scoreboard stories. If you want to have a look at those score lines, we will endeavour to put them on our Instagram page. So if you want to go and check those at those out um you can do so at passing shot pod on our instagram channel great yeah um so the wild card where we discuss all and sundry in the tennis world uh we'll get on to rome in a bit which is underway as we speak um not too much has happened off the court there's a few kind of bits and pieces so we've had 
Novak Djokovic had a bit of a dig at Stan Wawrinka for his letter in the Times about the ATP Player Council. Uh, Djokovic got a bit annoyed that Stan kind of went to the media before speaking to the rest of the players. Um, in other news, we've also had Grigor Dimitrov announcing he's split with Danny Valverde after three years. So um, Danny Valverde, famous, I suppose, for previously working with Andy Murray. He's been with Grigor for like three years, um, but they've now ended their partnership. Grigor has actually gone down to number 46 in the world, which I didn't realise he had gone down quite so low. Um, he's had a pretty bad run of form. I mean, he lost to Taylor Fritz in Madrid. And I think that was, you know, for him, that spelt the end for, you know, the relationship between Dimitrov and Val- Valverde. Now, the timing is particularly interesting because I think there has been rumours and, and mutterings that, that Valverde might go for the position vacated by Gimmelstab, um on the ATP player council so that that remains to be seen but yeah there's certainly some some rumors there but um yeah, he might be I, a nice option know. because he seems to get on with a lot of the players doesn't he but i don't know i don't know where that leaves where that leaves dimitrov in terms of you know he's obviously coachless at the moment you know he's desperate to find some form you know he almost needs to go back back to the drawing board um and and yeah, rediscover rediscover that form that you know has deserted him over the last kind of six months or so. Well, sometimes you know, actually breaking off with the coach and just maybe just coaching yourself for a bit that that might be the way to go. Just like maybe there isn't a need to have an immediate replacement. Um, he can just see see what happens. Um, also, Francesca Schiavoni and Caroline Wozniacki. Um, I think this was already like announced uh, a while ago. I'm sure that they were working together in Charleston, but um, they've kind of just announced that, yeah, Skivoni is going to help Wozniacki for the clay court season. Um, obviously, Skivoni is a French Open champion herself. Um, I forget which year that she won it, but, um, you know, she has uh, obviously some good experience on the clay, so that might help Wozniacki, who, again, hasn't had the greatest of form of late um but yeah we're we're going into Rome Rome is underway um (laughs) one thing that we mentioned earlier was that Federer has announced that he will actually be playing the tournament and as a result the Italian Tennis Federation have increased the price of the tickets is that right Joel they've done a bit of (laughs) yeah they've dirty on the fans (laughs) yeah so they've um yeah since that announcement um yeah the president of yeah, the Italian Tennis Federation announced that they were doubling the price of tickets for Wednesday when when Federer will be playing. Um, and he, they've done this to reward fans who had bought tickets before they knew Federer would play. Um, and this is, I mean, this has caused some really big uh, debates uh, on, on social media. And it, it's just very... It's very bizarre. I, you couldn't imagine like Wimbledon doing, no. doing something <laughs> like that. Um, I'll just double the price of this day. It's very, it's very shrewd, like it. very shrewd operating mm. by uh, by the 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 Rome the Rome Masters event. How much would you pay to see Federer play in Rome? There's a question. Uh, but yeah, Rome's going to be interesting. 
Rafa, you know, not sure how he's going to do in Rome after, you know, not even reaching a final so far this clay court season. Um, obviously, Novak's there, Federer's there, teams there, Sitsipas, you know, it's all the, all the big guys are out in action again. And, um, I mean, whew, it's, uh, I mean, you've got, I mean, if you think about the, you know, the big clay events so far, we haven't really had one dominant player. You know, we have Fognini in Monte Carlo, had team in Barcelona, Djokovic in Madrid. You know, it's been very unpredictable so far. You know, in, in previous years, this has been Nadal, Nadal, Nadal. Um, but, you know, we're coming into Rome and yeah, there's a there's definitely a few different horses you could back, um, you know, to to win the title. Who's who, who's your who's your money on, Kim? Oh, gosh, um, probably Djokovic. I mean, I would love Rafa, obviously, as a Rafa fan. But, well, I mean, actually, Djokovic might get to like the semis. Maybe maybe we'll see someone like... Fognini? I don't know, maybe Tsitsipas. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, who knows? Could be Fernando Vadasco. I mean, oh no, hang on. He's going to be playing team. Um, so no, maybe not. <laughs> um, I just <laughs> want to go for an out there suggestion. Why not? Um, we could see Djokovic play Marco Cecchinato, who beats him at Roland Garros last uh, year. So that would be quite an interesting rematch. Um, but I think in the women's game, arguably, there's more uh, attention because Serena Williams is making her return. So she hasn't played since Miami. Um, so um, she's been, yeah, she was back in action. She won. She beat uh, Rebecca Peterson today. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she gets on. She hasn't really played an awful lot. And I mean, I don't see her going particularly far. Um, I think she'd have, she has a pretty tough draw. Um, she could face Azarenka, Halep, um, et cetera. So, you know, but it's, it's nice to see her back on a court. And, and also, you know, who, you know, who she plays next round? Venus Williams. Oh, oh. oh. Um, so wow. Venus Williams beat Elise Mertens in a three out, a match that went over three hours, um, today. And, yeah, so a Serena Venus matchup. Do you know how long it was since the last time they played on a clay court in Rome, Kim? Ten years. Twenty years. Oh wow, that's mad. So, uh, oh, wow. so absolutely crazy stuff. It's on. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's a it's a rematch. It'll be a very interesting one. I expect you know I would expect Serena to to win that, but um, yeah, there's certainly going to be some eyes to see how she does um, how she does in Rome, but but there are obviously other players to watch as well. Azarenka has come in as a wild card, um, is through to the second round. Muguruza, who's actually not seeded, um, again has uh, is, has come through her first round match. I, I feel like. Muguruza not seeded on a on clay court. That is a not a nice matchup early on for for her for her opponents. Um, Tom Janovic uh, going through, and as I said, kind of earlier, Kuzmova defeated Sara Irani six one six love. Um, Irani has, I think, I, I mean, story. I think of her season is you know she's not able to find a decent a decent first serve at the moment. She keeps hitting. Loads and loads of double faults in in each match. And um, yeah, Kuzmova kind of putting her to the sword.
So that brings us to a close for the wildcard section this week. Uh, we'll be back next time with a full Rome catch-up where we look at the whole draw for the men and the women's. But until then, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we hope you can catch us next time. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in the Passing Shot community. If you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe? Thanks for listening.